great uh, songs this morning. That last song, talking about how big God is. You know, uh, maybe we need a reminder every once in a while. And I think uh, as we look into the Ten Commandments, uh, I think we will see, and especially today, uh, just how clear Scripture is that God is the one true God. And that He is big. I mean, He's bigger than anything that we will face. He's, he's more powerful. He's more, you know, uh, uh, able to handle anything than we will ever be. And, and so looking at the, the passage today, we're going to dive into the first commandment. Last week, we, we kind of did an introduction. We talked a little bit about what the, uh, the commandments are. And so today, I want us to kind of unpack this first one. And uh, as we said last week, we, you know, Moses is, has received these commandments. He's received these teachings from God. And, uh, and so he's been up on the mountain. And he's come down. He's kind of shared them with the people. And, and then what we're going to do is we're going to kind of do a little bit of review from last week. So if you've got your outline, kind of follow along. But Moses is preparing. He's given instructions, if you will, to the people uh, for the promised land. And it says, these are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord, your God, commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live. And if you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey. Just as the Lord, the God of, our, of your ancestors, promised you. And so he's preparing them to go into this, this land. It's a, it's, a new, it's a new location. It's a new thing. And, you know, and they've, they've just kind of had the whole nation die off that didn't want to go in. Remember, they sent the, the, the 12 spies in, and the 12 spies came back. Ten of them gave a negative report or a bad report. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, who we name our kids after, nobody remembers the names of the others, you know, but they said, hey, listen, we can do this because God is with us. But the others were like, there's no way. And so anyway, so they had to wander around in the desert for all this time. And so, but now they're going in. So Moses is giving them instructions. And I think about some of us as moms and dads, you know, our kids are going off to college or they're going off to camp for the summer or something like that. And so we often will give them instructions because we want them to be what? We want them to be safe, right? And we want them to be wise, make some good decisions. And we, want, we don't want any harm to come to them. Mamas and daddies have a tough time letting their kids go to camp or let them go to certain things. And we worry about what might happen, right? Because we know what teenagers often do or what our kids do because we were that one time. They don't think so, but we were, right? And, and it's oftentimes they think they've got us fooled, but we... We're there, we did the same things, and we know what they will do. I see y'all laughing, but there's truth in that. But a lot of times whenever we're sending our kids off to camp or whatever it might be, we'll give them a few instructions. Hey, listen, do this, do this, don't do this. You know, and so we kind of lay them out there. And, and so what Moses is doing is he's giving the people, hey, listen, guys, I can't go into the promised land, but you are going. So when you get there, this is what you need to do. And he's, he's giving them instructions, and he wants them to be successful. And he wants them to be protected. He wants them to not experience harm. And so like a loving parent or a lo- loving father would be, you know, Moses has given the nation that. And so we, we can relate to that. You know, we send our kids off. We want them to be protected. We want them to, to live well. We want them to be successful. We want them to, you know, accomplish their dreams. But there's a couple of things in here that he says, you know, says it over and over. He says, you must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as you live, as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and, and be careful to obey. And so this next part right here is called the Shema. This is, this is uh, the word means, Shema is a Hebrew word that means to hear or listen, just like we talked about last week. So we're just kind of reviewing, but it means to hear or listen. And, and so what God is saying and what Moses is saying, hey, listen, hear me. 
You know, and, and so God wants us to listen and obey. He wants us to listen and obey. And so he gives this, this, uh, this, this teaching right here in verse 4. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. And tie them on your, to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. And write them on the doorpost of your house uh, as, and on your gates. And so what he's saying there is listen, hear me, and then I want you to obey me is what he's saying. And a lot of times what we do is we'll have conversations with our kids. As parents, we'll say, hey, listen, you need to be in by this time. Do you hear me? And what do they often say? Yes, sir, or yes, ma'am. And then they show up five or ten minutes after that, and you go, did you hear what I said earlier? And they go, yeah. And they did. They heard, right? But they didn't obey. They didn't obey. So here's what, we, what God is saying. Hey, listen, I want you to hear me, and I want you to hear me, but I want you to obey me. I want you to listen, but I want you to obey. I want you to follow through. And what we do, a lot of times we'll hear, you know, God will speak to us, and we'll hear a, a strong word, and we'll go, God, thank you for speaking to me today. And God... Thank you for you know, allowing me to experience your presence today. God, I heard you. Now, what are you going to do with it? Do we go out and apply it? Do we obey that truth? Or do we obey that conviction that we felt and say, God, I'm changing in this area of my life. God, I'm dying to this. I want to live for you. And so oftentimes we hear, but we don't always obey. And what God is saying, hey, listen, I want you to hear it. And I want you to listen. And I want you to obey. Now, here's the other thing. A lot of us struggle with listening. You ever been uh, talking to someone and you can look at their eyes, they're glazed over? I do it all the time. I look at y'all when I'm preaching. I see y'all's eyes glazed over. But you can tell when people are listening a lot of time, right? And, and so, you know, with our spouse or, or something like that, you may be talking to your spouse and, and they're not listening. Or, you, you, know, you know, you're not listening or whatever it might be. And so what we have to do is we have to work at listening. I mean, it doesn't come easy. We have to work at it. And oftentimes what we'll do is, you know, we get distracted. You know, there's little things that can happen. You know, some of you, anybody here ADD, raise your hand. You know, it's not a joke. I mean, I, my wife tells me all the time I'm ADD uh, because I'll be talking about something. I'll see something over there and all of a sudden I'm there, you know. And so it's one of those things we have to work at focus. We have to work at focus, you know. And, and so listening is, a, is something you have to work at. And so there are times in marriage counseling I'll, I'll have someone sitting there. And, uh, and this is something we work at because we have a tendency to want to defend ourselves, Right. If someone says something, we're thinking, we're not listening. We're, we're already going, if you will just shut up, I'll tell you what you need to hear. Or if you'll just shut up talking, I'll tell you how I feel, rather than listening to what they're saying. So I often have them sit down, I have them hold each other's hands, they get knee to knee, eye to eye. And I say, all right, I want you to tell, you know, I want you to ask, what are you mad about? And oftentimes they ask what they're mad about, and do they unload, they kind of unpack, you know. And, and so the whole person, the job of the person listening is they have to listen to everything they're saying and not respond. And you ought to watch them trying not to respond. You know, and you can tell they're not listening a lot of times just by watching their body language. Just like your spouse can tell when you're not listening. And so oftentimes they'll start defending themselves. And they'll say, hold on, that's not what you're doing. You're listening right now. So what I need you to do is I need you to say what I hear you saying. And you have to re- repeat verbatim what they said. Because if you've been listening, you can repeat it. But if you haven't been listening... And you've been kind of preparing your defense or you're already mad, then you're not listening anymore. And, and so I watch them do that. And it's, it's a skill you have to work at. You have to work at listening. And, and what God is saying, hey, listen, work at listening. Oftentimes we have ears to hear, but man, we don't hear. And, and, and so whenever we get to the New Testament, we see over and over, God give them ears to hear. 
you hear Jesus and give them ears to hear. So it's not just hearing it, but hearing it and listening and then obeying. And so listen to what it says again. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul and all of your strength, everything that's in you. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. So in other words, wholeheartedly, like you're all in. Everybody likes to do that in football or baseball. All in. All in. All right, well here, it's saying, hey, listen, be all in to what God has put before you. And then look at what it says here. It says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Now we've got some... We got uh, some prints of the Ten Commandments that we're going to give you guys. It's one per family, so if one of you guys from your family wants to go and get one, it's something that's pretty nice. It, it can be framed, and it might be something to put on your on your wall in your home. Maybe put it in there where the kitchen is at, where you guys eat at the most, or something like that. And you'll have opportunities to talk about what those Ten Commandments are. So that if you're going out these doors, there's some on a table out there. If you're going out the front, they're out at the welcome center. And so one per family. If you guys don't mind, get one, frame it. And put it up in your home. And, and, and so here's what I'd like for you to do is, you know, whenever you get a chance to teach those to your children and look for ways to repeat them over and over. Now, I don't know about you guys, but whenever I was coaching, you know, I always had certain things that you always said. Like if you were coaching baseball, it seemed like you were always saying, hey, keep your eye on the ball. You know, you're constantly saying, you know, hey, quit aiming the ball and just pitch. Just throw the ball. Or, hey, keep the ball in front of you. You know, little things that you're always repeating. And I can remember teaching my kids whenever they were this little and when they were that little. You know, I mean, you're sitting there teaching the same things over and over and over. You're repeating them. If you're playing basketball, it's, hey, make sure you're following through on your shot, you know, or whatever it might be. And so you're always repeating those little things over and over, hoping that it's one day going to click, one day going to register. And I think sometimes as parents, you know, we just get to the point where we say, you know what? I've taught them that their whole life. Well, keep on. Keep repeating over and over and over. And maybe one day it'll register. What Maybe one day they will hear with listening ears. And, and so it says repeat them again and again. Talk about them all the time. As you're doing life, you're talking and you're teaching God's Word. It doesn't mean you always have to sit down and, and, and break out the, you know, the felt boards and all that kind of stuff. It just means, hey, be teach them as you're doing life. So here's the first one. The first commandment is this. You must not have any other God but me. In Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3, it says, Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. So God is very adamant there. And so God, this is God speaking. You know, Moses has been the one who has gone to him because the people were afraid. If you remember, you know, they were trembling with fear. There was, there was fire and there was thunder on the mountain. And they were afraid. He said, Moses, you go, you go let God talk to you and you come back and tell us what he said. That sounds cowardly, doesn't it? But that's what they did. They wanted Moses to go and hear from God. And so God says, hey, listen, I've, I've delivered you guys from, from Egypt. I've delivered you from slavery. I have brought you out because that for years, for, for hundreds of years, they had been praying to God. God had heard their voice. And he literally, he speaks to Moses, you know, from a burning bush. He tells Moses, I want you to go and I want you to literally uh, set my people free. And Moses is thinking, I don't, I think you got the wrong guy, God. I, I mean, I think. You probably need to get somebody else. I don't know, but I, if you know, but I am wanted for murder back there. I've been kicked out of Egypt, you know, and, and, and Lord, you probably need to get somebody else. I stutter. I mean, I'm not real good at speech. Uh, you may want to get somebody else to go. And God gets a little bit angry with Moses for not trusting him. 
And, you know, and that's the way we are sometimes. We often say, well, they need to get somebody else. They need to get somebody more gifted than me, somebody more eloquent of speech than me. They need to get somebody that can, you know, do it better than I can. But sometimes God is saying, hey, listen, I want you to do this. I want you to be a part of this ministry. I want you to go on this mission trip. I want you to be the one to share the gospel. I want you. And so oftentimes we put it off on somebody else. But God sends Moses back. And he, and he literally, he proves through the plagues one after another that the gods that the Egyptians were worshiping would, would not compare to the God, the one true God. And so if you go back and you read the story, maybe you ought to take some time this week and go back and read and see what God did to set the people free. And, and as they experienced the plagues, you know, oftentimes the magicians and different people would try to match what God could do. They could never overcome what God could do. They would try to explain it away. It sounds like our science today. Oftentimes we try to explain away God. And what science does, science just proves there is a God to me. You know, there's so many times that we say, you know, there's, there's, there's these laws of science. I don't know if you realize, but what they discover in these laws of science is they discover the laws of God and what God has orchestrated. And then they put their name beside it like they came up with it. But God is the one who created all things. And, and so what we have to look at and, and go, you know what, there is one God. And God, you're the one who set us free. You're the one who got us out of, out of Egypt. And he said, hey, listen, all right, now that you guys are free, there's no other God but me. And he says the same thing to us today. There's no other God but me. You might say, well, Mike, I haven't been living as a slave in Egypt. But many of us have been living as a slave to sin. And we've been set free by the blood of Christ. We've been washed in the blood of Christ. And we have found freedom. And, and, and here's the thing is, we should live as God is the one God of our life, not any other God's. And, and, and oftentimes what we do is, what we, might, we don't have the gods like they had back then. We have different gods today, though. They become athletes. They become houses. They become other things. They become, hey, I've got to live up to everybody else's standard. It's the American dream can often become the God that we serve and that we chase after and that we pursue rather than the God of the universe who loves us and wants a relationship with us. But says, you must not have any other God but me. Look at this in Exodus 31, 18. It's further down in the book of Exodus there. But I love what it says. It says, when the Lord finished speaking with Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two stone tablets inscribed with the terms of the covenant, written by the finger of God. Isn't that an awesome statement? I mean, written by the finger of God. That is right out of Scripture. And so here's the thing. Up here it says, God gave them these instructions. So they were spoken from the mouth of God. They were written with the finger of God. And they're to be followed by the people of God. That we would literally say, God, I want to line up with your teaching, with your words. And, and so I went back this past week, you know, because I was talking to about it last week. But I went back and tried to find clips of Charlton Heston and, you know, the, the fiery tornado or whatever it was that represented God in that, that movie. And all of a sudden the fire would come out and it would burn it into the stone tablet. And I went back and I was like, man, this looks really dated. You know, I mean, this looks really old. And our kids today would probably laugh watching it. But I can remember as a little kid... Man, I thought those were the coolest special effects and, and literally that God was writing with his finger. He was writing on those stone tablets with his finger. And, and, and so for me, looking back, does it look dated? Absolutely. But you know, I read the scripture, I go, that's what he did. Man has a tough time maybe kind of creating that. But you know what? God, he just did it. And, and so look over here. Here's, here's a couple of things we need to look at. The first commandment rightly establishes the place of preeminence and the place of priority. So the, the first commandment rightly establishes the place of preeminence and the place of priority. God did not start anywhere else but with him. He, he, he went ahead and established that he, is, he should be first. He was the one true God 
And he tells the people, hey, listen, there shall be no other God but me. There shall be no other God but me. And, and, and he's saying, hey, listen, I've done everything to set you guys free. Don't chase after these other gods, these pagan gods. See, they came out of a culture where if you, if you know much about Egypt, Pharaoh was what? He thought he was a god. They worshipped him like he was a god. I mean, he, he was a god himself. Pharaoh was. And so God is saying, hey, listen, you're going to worship me, not some man, not some image. And we'll talk more about that next week. But you're going to worship the one living God, the one true God. And so the first commandment rightly establishes the place of preeminence and the place of priority, that he is first, that he is number one, he is the one. And so the statement under it says God is to be our only God. And, and, and this is what I feel like we often struggle with is we go, well, I believe there's only one God. But there are things that oftentimes, like I said, we'll talk more about idols next week, but that can creep into our life and can take the place and they can become number one. Like I've said many times, it can become our children. It can be our, our family. You know, I, I, I love family. But if it gets to the point where your family is what you worship and everything is surrounded about your family, that can become unhealthy. If it's your career, you know, if it's your career and everything is about your career and becomes the God in your life, you have to be careful. That's unhealthy. You know, and, and here's what I love about these, these laws of liberation that we're reading is they're set up for relationships. The first four deal with our relationship with God. The rest of them deal with the relationships with people. They're really rules and guidelines for, for healthy relationships. And, and so when we, we treat God as the one true God in our life and we go, you know, God, it's about you. Now, you know, I don't know about you guys, but like if I were, if I were talking to some woman and, and, I, and my wife walked up and said, hey, what are y'all doing? I said, hey, I was talking to her. She reminds me so much of you. My wife would probably be offended by that. You know, as she should be. And, and so, hey, hey, money, if you don't mind, I'm going to hang out with this lady because she reminds me so much of you. Or, you know, there's certain qualities I really like in her. She wouldn't be too good with that, I can tell you. And I wouldn't be too good if she were doing that the same, you know, with some other guy. And, and so the thing is, is God wants our affections. He wants our focus. And too often we, we try to justify it and, and, we, and we cheat, if you will. We cheat. And so God is to be our only God. If there's no God, and this is important, if there's no God, then the rest of the commandments carry no weight. If the first one does not make matter to us, if the first commandment does not resonate with us, the rest of the commandments really carry no weight at all. I mean, why would we even deal with the rest of them? If we don't trust God, if we don't believe He's God, if we don't believe He's the one who spoke all things into existence, then why, why in the world would we care about the rest of what He has to say? But if we believe that He is the one true God, who spoke all things into existence, who created me in the secret place, who shaped me and formed me, and if he is the one who literally sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that I might live, then I want to hear what he has to say and I want to hear everything else that he has to say. And so this first one establishes the preeminence. But the thing is, is it sets the tone for the rest of it. We have to be willing to say, you know what, God, if, if you're not truly God, then the rest of the stuff doesn't matter. It says only fools say there in their hearts there is no God. Psalm 14, 1. Only fools say in their hearts there is no God. And so what we, what we have to understand is a fool says there's no God. You say, Mike, well, there's a lot of fools around. I agree. I agree. There's plenty. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, atheism is on a rise. I mean, it's as popular as it's ever been. And I would agree with that. But, you know, the thing is, is atheism is trying to do everything it can to prove that there's not a God. And, you know, and for the Christian, he says, well, do I have to prove there is a God? There's plenty of things to prove there's a God. There's plenty of evidence that there's a God. We have scientists, it goes back to what I said earlier, we have scientists that constantly teach, you know what, hey, there is no God, and they're constantly trying to prove their theory 
but they always have missing elements. And there's always a missing link or a missing element or something like that. And, and so, and I, and I love science. I grew up, science was one of my favorite things that I did. I mean, of all the subjects, that and recess, man, that was my two favorite ones. You know, but the thing is, is what we often do is we, we want to kind of push God out of that. And so the atheist is trying to prove there is no God. And they're trying to prove something that doesn't exist in their mentality. And we're trying to prove something that we believe exists, but it's, it's, it's invisible. And so next week we'll take a look at that. But God didn't want images because he is, he is spirit. There's no image that represents him more so than man because we are created in the image of God. And so carries no weight. So only the fool says in their heart there's no God. And so it's a decision of the heart, not the mind. And, and I think this is important. There are plenty of great Christian scientists out there that say, man, hey, listen, I'm telling you, man, you, you know, God had to speak this into existence. I was talking to someone this past week who went in for surgery you know, a couple of years ago, and they said, you know, when the when the the doctor came in and said, hey, listen, I'm going to do everything that I can, but let's let's lean into the one who created you. And he prayed over him. He said, man, it was this peace that came over, like, thank God I've got this this surgeon uh, doing surgery on me, because he recognized, hey, these are just hands that God will use. I, he didn't think he was all that. He thought God was all that, but God chose to use him. And, and so, we've got to understand that it's a decision of the heart. It's not a decision of the mind. And so that decision of the heart, we're going to look at it a little bit later, has a lot to do with our faith. Has everything to do with our faith. And look at the next statement. It says, too often we spend our time in foolish arguments. We spend our time in foolish arguments. We argue over things. We, you know, we argue with each other. We argue with one another on things that sometimes I think is a waste of good time and resources. You know who's notorious for that? Christians. You know, I don't argue with an atheist over whether or not there's a God. I think that everything around me screams there's a God. So I'm not going to waste my time with someone who's already decided in their heart that there is no God. Now, will I share the love of Christ with them? Will I try to do everything I can to serve them and minister to them? Absolutely. And pray that one day that their heart will be changed? Absolutely. But I'm not going to argue. You know, I know there's, you know, there's people who have, you know, they love the apologetics and it's the defense of the gospel or defense of the scriptures. I believe the scriptures are like a lion, man. You let that lion go, it'll handle its own. God's word says that his word always returns effective. It always accomplishes its task. It never returns void. And so I believe that if we share God's word, it does what it's supposed to accomplish. And so oftentimes we get into arguments. We'll have big arguments over things. And we want to argue with other Christians or other believers or other denominations. And I think that's the wrong thing to do. I think we're to know what the truth is. That's by spending time in God's word. We're to speak the truth. We're to speak, speak the truth in love. You know, but the thing is, is we don't sit there and just argue and we waste our time. I remember when I was in Pensacola, Florida, there was a, there was a, a, a teaching or a group of people down there who they believed it was K, King James Version only. It was KJV only. They would ride around with a, literally a 16-foot trailer with a big old huge Bible built on it. And it would say, if it's not the KJV, it's not the Bible. And they would, they would argue. They want to argue with you. And I'd be like, hey, listen, dude. You just apply the one you read, I'll apply the one I read, we'll be okay. You know, let's do that. And, and, and so it was always wanting to argue. And, and it, here's the thing, it became divisive and it caused rifts in the churches and stuff. And then I remember those guys would often stand on the street corners and they would preach. And, and it, was a real, it was a real negative, mean-spirited, almost preaching. It would be like they, they, you'd ride up beside them and say, you whore, you harlot, you, you know, whatever. And it was just constantly rolling and, and just, just ripping you apart. And I remember thinking to, about those guys thinking, you know what, I respect their courage to stand on a street corner and preach. But they're not preaching hope, they're preaching condemnation. 
You know, and here's the thing. We speak, speak the truth, but we speak the truth in love. And I can remember, you know, thinking, you know, man, I respect their courage, but I question their method and their heart. And then I can remember standing on a street corner in Dallas, Texas. My wife worked down, uh, downtown in, in the Earl Cavill Federal Building. And, and she, would, she would ride a bus from a, a, a point where you drive to, a drive and ride type thing. So she'd drive there, get on the bus. So I went to work with her one day. And, uh, and we were coming back. And we were standing at that, that bus stop. And it was a young, uh, young African-American guy. was standing up on a big old block. Uh, and he was preaching the gospel. And I'm listening to it because, you know, I didn't know what he was preaching. I'm listening and the more I listened to him, I was like, man, he's preaching the gospel. Man, he's preaching truth. And I started watching the people around me, and I could see them listening. And they're cutting their eyes, but nobody would turn and look at him. It's not like they were going to do this, you know, but they were listening to him. And everything that he was saying, man, was, it was pure gospel. It was pure truth. It was God's word. But it was done in a way that it was appealing to the people's there. And you could tell that, you know, they, they didn't feel condemnation. They felt conviction, maybe. But, man, it was encouraging. And I was sitting there going... You know, God, I just start praying for him. I said, God, use this guy. He is a he is a, a voice for you right now. And all those people are standing there listening. And you always wonder, who went home or who got on the bus and began to contemplate what he said and maybe prayed a prayer that night or maybe surrendered their life to Christ that night. And, and so what I'm saying is too often we have these arguments where we fuss and we fight. But what if we use that time of fussing and arguing to bless others, to speak truth, to offer hope, to serve to wash someone's feet. What if we did those things instead of arguing over what we think is right and what someone else thinks is wrong? I think if we spend time in God's Word, God's Word will tell us what is truth and what is not. And so we spend too, many time, too much time on our foolish arguments. And here's the last one. The Bible never argues the existence of God. The Bible never argues the existence of God. It just, it just says, hey, God created the heavens and the earth. It doesn't say, hey, let me tell you and prove to you that there is a God. And then, hey, this is what He did. You just say, listen, God spoke and it happened. God literally spoke heaven into existence. I mean, all of, all of earth into existence, all of heaven into existence. And he literally takes it and he speaks it into existence. He spins it and he says, you know what? Hey, man, I'm going to create man. I'm going to create everything. And he literally speaks it into existence. And, and so it's, it's a beautiful picture that God doesn't have to prove who he is. He just ex- he exists as he is. It says the foundations of law and order have collapsed. What can the righteous do? And we look around. I think most of us would say at times we look at our culture. We look at the news. We listen to everything that's so negative, And we would go, that is a picture of our culture right now. That is a picture of our culture. It says the foundations of law and order have collapsed. What can the righteous do? But look at what it says. But the Lord is, his, is, is in his holy temple. The Lord still rules from heaven. And he watches everyone closely, examining every person on earth. So God is still on the throne. I hope you understand that. No matter what our, our nation may be going through, God is still on the throne. No matter what you may be going through, God is still on the throne. And he watches every one of us. And he cares about the details of our life. He cares so much about how you treat someone that he will bring conviction. And he will address you. And he will often even times call you out. But he cares about how you treat yourself. He cares about how you think about yourself. He cares if you're insecure or not. He cares if you're arrogant. He cares if you're cocky. He cares if you're humble. And so the God on, you know, of the universe sits on his throne. And here's the thing. He looks at every one of us. He watches every one of us. So everything that we think we've done in secret, God is watching. You know, we talk about what character is. Character is who you are when no one else is around. And so God knows your character. 
You may have somebody fooled in here. You may have the person beside you on the left or on the right fooled. You may have your mom, your dad fooled. You may have your kids fooled. But God knows everything about you. He knows everything that you've done this past weekend. He knows what you're thinking about doing today. He knows what you're struggling with even in your thoughts now. And so the great thing I love about it is God is still on the throne. He still knows everything about us. And so how do we know there is only one God? Scripture boldly declares it. How do we know there's only one God? Because Scripture boldly declares it. You know, we talked about this before. There's two things that will last forever. The souls of men and the Word of God. The Word of God will last forever. And so Scripture boldly declares it. says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep, the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And so, and so when we see that, that's Genesis 1. That's the very first verses. Like I said, it doesn't try to prove that there's a God. It just states that there's a God. And God created the heavens and the earth. And I, you know, it's just amazing whenever we look at that. The, 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 the scriptures literally say, this is who God is. It talks about what he did. And it's all about his attributes. God's way is perfect and the Lord's promises prove true. And he is a shield for all who look to him for protection. For who is God except the Lord? But who but our God is a solid rock? Psalms 18, 30 through 31. And so God's way is perfect. And, and, and it says, who but God is our Lord? And then look at this. It says, all of, the, all of creation declares that there is a God. I don't know about you guys, but whenever I, I see a beautiful sunset, I'm often moved by just the, the power and the beauty of that. But I don't do this. I don't sit there and go, man, that is an awesome looking ball of gas. That's not what I do. I don't know about if, you, if you guys do that. But what I do is I go, my God, you create the most beautiful sunsets or the most beautiful sunrise. And, and I, I heard the other day where, you know, James Spann gets like a thousand pictures a day of sunsets and stuff, you know, and he has to kind of sort through. Maybe it's 10,000. I can't remember. But people love those beautiful sunsets. And, and I don't know about you, but whenever I see that, I go, you know, God, there's, there's nobody that can paint a sky like you can there's nobody that can paint a picture like God can. And everybody that we think are great artists, they're just copying what he's already done. You know, I mean, they literally are copying him. They're copycats. And, and, and it's, it's kind of like the scientists. Hey, look, I figured out this law. Well, God put that into play way before you ever came along, bud. You know, and so you can take credit for it, but I'm just telling you, that's God's laws. That's God's truth. And, and so when I see that, I, I, I'm in wow. I'm in amazement of, of God. And we, like I said, we all get our phones out. We take pictures of it. And, and cause we want to, we want to capture that. We want to hold on to that. Look at what it says here. It says, the heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies just play his craftsmanship. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I remember years ago, you know, one of our, our dream trips was to go to, to uh, Yellowstone and we wanted to take the boys and, and, and we went to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which was kind of one of the bucket list places I wanted to go in my life. And I remember whenever we got there and we saw the Grand Tetons. If you've never seen the Grand Tetons, some of the most beautiful mountains. And I remember just going, man, those are amazing. So we went, we got up early the next morning and we got out there at daylight, way before daylight, so that we could see, number one, the animals as well. But we want to see the Grand Tetons. We want to see the, the, the sun come up and hit those mountains. And let me tell you, when I'm standing there, I was not going like, dude, that's some cool rocks. It's not what I was doing. But I was going, God, nobody. Nobody can create what you can create. When you see the snow caps on those mountains and you see the animals, the bison and elk and mule deer everywhere, and you just go, you know what, God? Nobody can do what you can do. And for me, it was, I worshipped Him, not the creation. I was thankful for the creation, but I worshipped the Creator. 
And one of the things that we see too often is we see people who worship creation rather than the creator. And, and, and so when we, we read a, a passage like that, it says the heavens proclaim the glory, the skies just place his craftsmanship. And we oftentimes get caught up on the wrong thing. And we go, you know what, God, it moves me to worship. And then look at this next one. It says, this is out of Romans where, where Paul is addressing it. It says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen, have seen the earth and sky. And, and through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. And so Paul is writing, you know, and oftentimes people say, hey, well, what about the people that came along after Jesus? Paul is addressing that. He goes, man, it's been screaming that there's a God all, all, of, all of since creation. Ever since the beginning of time, man, he's been screaming that there's a God. And he's saying, hey, listen, there's no excuses for us to say, man, I'm not sure there's a God. He goes, just look around you. It doesn't just happen. And I tell people all the time, you know, we, we, we often hear people say, well, you know, there's the Big Bang Theory, and I know we can do this funny Christian thing and say, well, you know, hey, God said bang and it happened. I get that. But I'm just saying people often think that all this disorder came to order all of a sudden. But, you know, like if you take your car or your boat or your camper or a building and you have it all looking pretty good and you park it for a while, does it go from, does it go from disorder to order or does it become to begin to fall apart? It begins to go to disorder. If this building, if we all left here and we didn't come back for 40 or 50 years, this building would not get sharper and better and cleaner and in more organization. It would be in disorder. It would be in disarray. Things would be falling apart. And, and so the thing is, is everything around us screams, you know what? God has to orchestrate things. And so here's the last one. Our faith reveals the reality of God. Our faith reveals the, the reality of God. This is, out, this is out of Hebrews chapter 11. It's three verses that I wanted to share here. And so it says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. And so again, our faith in God is, is critical. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that he spoke it into existence. And that we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. And then look at this next one. It says, and it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. So for any of us in this room that we want to please God or we want to, you know, honor God, we've got to have that faith that, you know what, He exists and that He hears me and that He cares about me and He cares about the people around me and that God cares. And so our faith reveals the reality of God in our own lives. I, I can remember growing up in church. I had a little boy a while ago come up uh, and tell me, he goes, hey, I went to vacation Bible school this past week and... He was all excited and he was telling me about it. And I can remember going to vacation Bible school and, and learning and hearing about the things of God. I can remember learning the Ten Commandments in, in, in vacation Bible school. And so I can remember hearing that, learning those things. And I can remember growing up thinking, you know, I'm not good enough. I'll never be able to live up to those things. I'll never probably, you know, fully understand all of God's stuff. And so I can remember wrestling with that, wrestling with that, wrestling with that. And at the age of 19, I'm sitting in a service and God, he just got a hold of my heart. And I said, God, I don't understand all of it. God, I don't know if you'll even accept me, but God, I want to give you my life. And so by faith, I walked an aisle. By faith, I prayed a prayer. By faith, I received salvation through Jesus Christ. And, and man, as, as, I, as I prayed that prayer and I poured out my heart before God, I said, God, I, I don't know what you can do with me, but here I am. 
I'll give you my life. And, and so here's the thing. It was by faith. But let me just tell you this. It was just like at that moment. I can remember it like it was yesterday. As I walked out of the house, I prayed that prayer, not even knowing really what to pray. I had a pastor kind of lead me through that prayer. I can remember feeling just like God had washed me on the inside. And he did. He washed me clean with the precious blood of Christ. He, you know, and, he, and I, felt like, I felt like a new person. And I was. That's what Scripture says. The Bible says that you become a, a new man, a new person. And you've been given a new name. And he literally writes your new name in the Lamb's book of life with the precious blood of Christ. that never be erased. And so whenever we realize, you know, it's by faith that we are saved. It's not by works. It's not by following a bunch of rules and regulations. But it's our faith in Christ. The reality of God comes to live within us. And the Holy Spirit begins to take up residence in us. And that Holy Spirit walks with us from that day forward. The Bible says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. So, look at this statement here. It says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? He's talking to the church. He's talking to the believer. He's talking to the one who has placed their faith in Christ. He said, hey, listen, don't you realize that your body, that you are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives within you? He, he dwells within you. And then look at this, this, this next statement. It says, there are three persons in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not an it or a thing. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a third person of the Trinity. And, and so God the Father... You know, we, we think of our Heavenly Father, Jesus the Son, who left heaven and came here and dwelt among us. He went to the cross. He took the beatings and the scourgings that you and I deserve for our sin. And He went to the cross and He bled out His precious blood for your sins and my sins, not for any that He committed. And then He says, I'm sending a comforter. And He sent the Holy Spirit to dwell within believers. So for those of us that have put our faith in Christ, that we put our faith in what God did through Jesus Christ on the cross, we're saved. We're saved. It's not by works. It's not by me keeping rules and regulations. It's by me trusting God and trusting what Jesus did on the cross. And here's the thing. And then he leads me by the Holy Spirit. And I trust the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me day in, day out. And so it's not anything that I do to earn it. It's what I do to receive it. And it's by faith that we receive salvation in the very presence of God. And, like, and listen to what it says again, though. It says the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And so many times, man, we, try, we, we have a tough time figuring that out. We go, how can He be God the Father? And how can He be God the Son? And how can He be the Holy Spirit? How can it be three in one? Let me tell you, that debate has been going on since, man, since the beginning. And there's some things that we will not understand this side of heaven. And I'll just tell you this. If I want a God that's going to rule in my life, that is all-powerful, that is all-knowing, that is all-present, then here's what I would just say to you. I don't have to figure him out. I don't have to know everything that he knows. You know, his thing, my thing is I just have to trust him. I just have to put faith in him. But if I know that he is over all things, and I know that he is the one God, the one true God, and I know that he is all-powerful, that means that nothing can compete with him. And I know that he knows everything about me. And he knows all things, past, present, and future. Then you know what? I'm going to trust him. And, and so to sit there and go, you know, he's all present. So it does, I can't hide from him. If I, you know, if I go to the depths of the ocean or the heights that I can never reach, he's there. You know, in darkness, he's there. It doesn't matter where I go, he's there. And so here's the thing. I don't have to know everything about him. I do have to trust him. And I've got every reason in the world to trust him. And so these, these next steps, maybe this is... For some of you today, 
next step for me today, I choose to listen to God's word. So maybe that's your choice. You, you choose. You know, I'm going to listen to God's word. I'm going to quit listening to the world. I'm going to quit listening to what's popular. I'm going to quit listening to, to the latest author that does not line up with the word of God. I'm going to quit listening to that talk show or that, that person who does not love God, does not like God, does not believe in God's word. I'm going to listen to the truth of God's word. You know, I, I say this all the time. You know, we, for many of us in this room, we, we don't want our kids to experience bad things. We try to do everything we can to protect them. God does the same thing. God, he doesn't want us to be wounded. He doesn't want us to be hurt. He wants to protect us. And, but yet, oftentimes, moms and dads, what we do is we complain about the stuff that's out there in the world, but yet we pay the cable company to bring it into our home. We pay the dish network to bring it into our home. We pay, you know, for things to come in over the airways. We buy phones. We buy stuff that our kids can listen to garbage on. And then we wonder why they think the way they do and why they're struggling with their thoughts. And you might say, well, Mike, you know, I, I can't stop the tide. I mean, it's just coming. I can't help that. That's just the culture that we live in. I think sometimes we have to be willing to say, what can I do? I can teach them what is right. You can't keep them from every wrong. But here's the thing. You can teach them what to do when the situation arises. And you can teach them truth. And you can teach them God's word. And so maybe you say, you know, I choose to listen to God's word. And then here's the next one. I choose to obey his commands. Maybe instead of just hearing God's word today, you listen. Instead of just listening and walking away, you choose to obey. You know, and that's, that's, always, that's always an application thing. I often hear people say, man, that was a good word. And I'll even go to a message and hear something and say, man, that was a good word. But the good word is not the blessing in completeness. The blessing is when I hear that word and then I go and I live that out. I apply it to my life. And then I receive the blessings of God's fruitfulness in my life in that area. God's provision in that area of my life. And, and so it's, I will choose to obey His commands. And then the last one is this. I want God to be first in my life. I want God to be first in my life. I surrender. And maybe you're here today and you realize, you know what, man, God is not first in my life. God's not Lord in my life. And I don't know what may be, but I, I, I'll tell you this. God will reveal what is first. And there may be some things that you've been wrestling with even in your mind today as you sat here and listened. Maybe you tried to weigh some things out. Maybe you've, maybe you've actually heard today and you've listened. And instead of defending what you think might be God in your life, you've listened to God and you said, God, will you forgive me? God, I've sinned in that area. God, I have not kept you first. God, I have not worshipped you only. So God, will you forgive me? That's a good place to be place of brokenness. God desires a broken and contrite spirit. God, I'm broken over my sin. God, I'm broken over the condition of how I've led my family. God, I'm broken over the condition of my marriage. God, I'm broken. Here's the cool thing is when we're broken and contrite, He mends us together. He heals us. But it's when we die to pride and we die to self and we die to those things that He can do the greatest work in us and through us. And so, maybe that last one is God, I want you to be first. And maybe there's somebody here in the room, you've never put your faith in Christ. You've never, you've never put your faith in Jesus for salvation. You've never had your name written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You don't know if you were to die right now, if you would go to heaven or go to hell. Jesus said, I've told you things that you might know that you have salvation. You might know that you're saved. We don't have to go through life wondering and say, man, boy, I hope I'm good enough this week. Boy, I hope I kept all the commandments. I hope I kept all the law. See, so we're saved by faith in what Jesus has done. Jesus was good enough. We'll never be good enough. And so I just want to ask you, do you know where you'd spend eternity? If not, why not nail it down today? 
Everything that he has said and everything that we have pointed to today is for you that you might hear and receive his healing. I want to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes. And, and maybe that's you. Maybe you say, you know, Mike, that's me. Man, I've, I've never put my faith in Christ. I've never been saved. And there's plenty of people, man, you've gone to church your whole life. You've gone to church for years, man. But maybe like me, man, I was 19 when I finally made, made a faith decision. I'd heard the gospel. I'd been in church, gone to VBS, gone to Sunday school. Man, I'd done all kinds of stuff. But man, I wasn't saved. So maybe you're here today and you've never put your faith in Christ. Maybe you've never placed your faith in who Jesus is and what he did on the cross. And so right now, maybe that's you. You say, Jesus, I want to ask you, will you forgive me of the sins I've committed? Jesus, will you come into my heart? Will you be my leader? Will you be my Lord? So Jesus, I'm asking you to save me. With all the faith that I have, Jesus, I'm asking you to save me. I'm asking you to come into my life. Jesus, I'm asking you to place the Holy Spirit within me. That he might lead me and guide me and teach me how to live for you and honor you. So God, with all the faith that I have, I'm asking you and I'm begging you to save me. Save me from myself. Save me from my sin. And save me from the path I'm on. And so with all the faith that I have, I give you my life. I want you on the throne of my life, God. I want you to be first. And by faith, you pray that. If that is your prayer, God's Word says you will be saved. And if you just prayed that prayer, here's the thing. If you don't mind, just share by raising your hand. Just say, Mike, that was me. Man, that was me. I just prayed that prayer. Anybody in the room, just raise your hand and say, Mike, I just prayed that prayer. I just asked Christ to come into my life and save me. Anybody. It takes courage to do it. It took courage to pray that prayer. Anybody. So, Mike, that's me. I believe that God just saved me. So here's the thing. If you just saved you, what's the next step? The next step would be to get God's Word and begin to hide it in your heart. To follow Christ in believer's baptism. If you've never been baptized, follow Christ. It's the next step. Get connected to the church. You know, find your place of service and begin to share what you have received with others. There's a lot of people in this room that didn't raise their hand that indicates that they're most likely believers. Let me ask you. You know, we can all lose sight. The nation of Israel turned to other gods. They cheated on God, if you would. Have you been cheating on God? Or is He truly Lord of your life? Is He really in first place? Here's the thing. Only you and Him know that. But I will say this. It will show up in how you act and treat others. Father, I thank You for meeting with us today. I thank You for the commandments that are given to us, Lord. I thank You especially for this one. God, that we would have no other gods but You. And God, I pray that when we worship, well, Father, you receive our best. God, I pray that when we give, you receive our best. And God, that we would live this week with you as the God of our life. And that the people around us would see from the evidence of our surrender daily to you, God, and to line it with your word. Father, use us as a witness for you. In Jesus' name, amen.